It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to the Wizards of the Weekly Podcast. Before we get into the guts of the past week in cricket, how does the offer of cheap beer sound to you? We've teamed up with the good folks at Beer52 to offer WCW listeners an exclusive deal of 10 very tasty, specially picked craft beers for just £5. It is actually a really good deal. I had one of the beers myself last night and had a great time. You had one? Yeah, I had one full beer. (laughs) I can't have more than one beer, Phil. Not on a a school night. Uh, (laughs) So head to beer52.com forward slash wisdom to get in on that action. Right, cricket. Yeah. Welcome once again to Joe Harmon, Wasn't Cricket Monthly magazine editor, and Phil Walker, WCM editor-in-chief. Hello. Uh, Yeah. Hello. Hello. Uh, Let's start with the big (laughs) England news of the week. James Anson and Jack Leach will play no further part in the series in South Africa. Uh, the last due to a series of illnesses stretching back to the New Zealand tour. He's had a real rough time of it, which is sad to see. Uh, but from the uh, the net reports and the various things you see floating about, it seems like Joffre Archer is back in contention, but that Mark Wood might well have leapfrogged him for this game with a, a searing spell of bowling in the nets and because the pitch might well take some reverse swing. Uh, his last first-class game was that test back against the West Indies. The St. Lucia game. Yeah. Uh, so he hasn't, and he hasn't really played any, even any semi-competitive Red Bull cricket or sort of warm-ups or anything like that. Uh, Joe, how do you feel about his potential recall to the side? Given that I said he should never be in the squad in the first place. Yeah, You're exactly. setting me up for a fall here, aren't well, you? Well, I'm setting up to see what, what you think. <laughs> um, on the face of it, it would be a bonkers selection uh, to, to give a man one, one test every year when he's fit enough to, to get through five days of cricket. But that St. Lucia spell is still fresh in the minds of most people who saw it it was it was incredible the, the spell that really stood out for me in the whole of last year I think when we were picking our spells of the of the year for um for wisdom.com um so on that basis he is he has got to be intention now he's there they've picked him if he's fit and he's bowling fast and they think he can get through however many overs he'll need to then he's got yeah why not give it there was no point in picking him in the squad if they really weren't going to give him this this chance. Uh, and if he's got to a stage where he's fit, then why not? It, it sounds like the 
from what's coming out of the England camp that Wood's actually fitter than Archer at this stage. Uh, and if if you're only going to get one test out of the last two from Archer, then maybe you're better off holding him back for the Wanderers if he's not quite fully fit. Because I think we've seen with Archer, playing him when he's not 100% is not really the way to go because Archer at bowling at 75, 80, 85 miles an hour is not really worth it. England have got those bowlers. What they need is a strike bowler. And if Wood's fit, then he's the man to do that. Yeah, it does sort of stick in the crawl a bit, doesn't it? Because we're told that people are supposed to sort of earn test call-ups through like way performances in the level below and then and then get a go. But Wood is just a special case, isn't he? Yeah, well, he's real pace. Uh, and you just can't, you can't put a price on that, really. Um, and Wood's career as well has been a singular one. Um, you know, he's... He kind of emerged pretty much from nowhere. It it wasn't on the back of a of a large sample size of you know four day uh, work. You know for Durham, he came through very fast because he is very fast. Um, and I think I think we have to make allowances in the modern game for for the real quicks. Um, and obviously, we saw in the World Cup that that he has that big match pedigree as well. Uh, I love the idea of him playing one Test match a, a year for the next five years yeah. you know <laughs> just picking the right one yeah when, on, when on, do we get him ready for it this is it on the one hand it's extraordinary as you say you know his last game was that that helter skelter performance at, at st lucia uh but this is this is the nature of the modern the modern game um they've had they will have had i think 10 maybe nine days break between the the second and this upcoming third test and yet there wasn't a practice game because the modern game doesn't really allow for it or encourage it or, or, or particularly value it either. Um, I just think that players prepare differently now. I think that the requirements on the quicks are different to what it used to be. And I think we just have to make allowances for that. I would personally, because I love the bloke, love to see him see him feature here. And as you said, and Faf Duplessis has said, this will take reverse swing um, and it's hot and it's muggy. Uh, if... They go in as they will with a five-man attack, and it looked like Stokes was able to get through some good overs in the se- in the second test. I think it makes a lot of sense to play him. The other thing with with Wood, he might not have 40, 50 championship wickets under his belt last season, but that's because he was helping win England the World Cup, and he bowled himself into the ground. I was kind of wincing watching him in some of those early group matches, just thinking, well, you don't need to be bowling at 90 miles an hour, but that's not the way Mark Woods does it or will ever do it. He's always going to give him give it absolutely 100% in every game he plays, which is perhaps why he's picked up some of the injuries that he does. But but we kind of love him for it. And with that, that's the that's the kind of character he is. Yeah, and there's, I think one thing with him as well, I think he's told you, or people told you, he's almost too honest with his own assessment and his own fitness. So if he feels he's fit to play, that's probably going to be a pretty good sign that he is because if he isn't he'll be sort of saying oh, I'm feeling a bit like Aki here a bit severe mm. and that might lead to him or might have in the past led to missing games that he doesn't need to I guess or whenever in the past he's told Phil that he's 100% fit and raring to go then he, <laughs> he breaks down his, almost yeah. immediately didn't he, didn't he look at, look see you in horror at some press thing there was a junket yeah, yeah. in some warehouse because they're all in warehouses in East London these days whenever the ECB does one and uh, he saw me and literally ran away uh, he said, y- 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 I'm not going to do the accent. Don't worry. He said, you can't come near me. You can't come near me. If you're within five yards of me, then I break down. So Phil, not in South Africa is, is perhaps the kind of the no. inspiration he needed. Yeah, I'd far rather be in, in a little booth in, in South London. Freezing cold booth. Yeah, it well. is freezing as well, Ben. Why didn't you sort the, the heating out? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Well, that's that's, that's the other job, yeah. Uh, he normally brings the food too. I, yeah, the other thing that England done, which is quite candy, they had a, a high-intensity session two days ago, so three days out from the test, and then... 
a lighter one today, the day before the test, to see if there had been sort of any sort of residual stuff from that that might have actually indicated he's not as fit as seemed. So it sounds like, although they haven't played a game, they're sort of as as sure as they can yeah. be. But I, I guess... The- did you see, Joe, Joe, sorry, did, did you see any of the footage from the nets when the quicks were going? Um, I saw one from like the batsman's point of view behind the net when Archer and Wood were both... both yeah, going. I yeah. saw that. Yeah. yeah. Terrifying. But it was interesting yeah. that Archer, it was Denley who was batting mainly on, in that footage, filmed by the ECB's media manager, I guess. And he was he was able to get on the pull against Archer, but against Wood, he was right in the back of his crease, you know, just playing it under his eyes. Uh, all right, a tiny little sample size, but I think that was pretty much indicative of where the two of them are at the moment. So, yeah, look, 24, 48 hours out from it, I, I, can, see, I can see Wood getting the nod. And in a five-man attack, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and in that five-man attack... Uh, who would take the the new ball for you? Uh, so it'd be as we, it'd be Sam Curran, Bess, Wood, Broad, and Stokes. Are we comfortable with the idea of, of Sam Curran, England new ball bowler potentially? I am. Uh, I think he's he's bowled really well on this tour. Um, in theory, he should be at his most effective when the ball is at its newest and, and going to swing. Um, so I'd be I'd go Broad and Curran with Wood first change. I think. I'm comfortable with that as well. I think, yeah, I think Joe's Joe's rationale as ever is bang on. Um, he's he, he's a conventional swing bowler, uh, and I think PE historically has shown that that the ball does a bit, um, and the muggy conditions will certainly help his kind of style. Uh, and it's it's good to see now that with Curran there is no real debate around his credentials anymore. You know, he's not damned with faint praise anymore. There's not no, no more backhanded compliments with Sam Curran. He's just he's just a class cricketer uh, who does it time after time, and he's now become uh, pretty much a, a mainstay now. I would say of, of this bowling attack, um, and all the more so, of course, with Anderson unfortunately going home. And I guess the question with Jimmy, he's what fifty-seven and a half now. I think <laughs> uh, you know, how how many more times can he to to coin a Alistair Cookism go to the well? There's a there's a similarity here with Stain, isn't there, who for a long time went almost completely injury-free, incredibly so. Obviously, Anderson had his early career injuries, but for a long time was almost injury-free. Same with Stain. Then when Stain had, I can't remember what the injury was, but when he had his first injury, quite serious injury, whenever he came back from it, there's always something else he, he picked up. And I've heard Anderson speak about this in the past. It's actually when you stop bowling that you're most likely to pick up injuries when you when you come back. And that seems to be the case with Anderson, that every time he comes back, something else comes along. There's another different niggle. England will persevere with him for as long as they possibly can, and there's no reason not to. But I do wonder how many more Test matches he'll play outside of England. I I, I echo those thoughts. I, I would add though that I like the way that he is um, positioning himself and his particular story. He is saying, "I want to redefine what a fast bowler in cricket, in Test cricket, is capable of doing physically," and he's making long-term goals as realistic as possible and bringing them into the conversation. He wants to be bowling in the ashes in two years' time. Uh, so it's not, I just want to get get through to next Thursday and play another test or get through that series. I want to play in two years' time, uh, by which time he will be 40, I think. Uh, now, it's laudable, it's admirable, it's also mildly terrifying for mortals just to be observing all of this. Um, and, you know, with every ounce of our being, we, we want to see this play out, but... But you know, time waits for no man, and all of that. I, I just hope, I hope for his sake that he can, he can satisfy himself and get to get through it, and you know, see where you're at in in March, April time for the start of a new season. He'll take hatfuls, obviously, 
bowling off three steps if needs be up in up at lengths and and see where he goes. It would be an amazing. Well, it's, it's already an amazing story. It would be almost inconceivable if he were to manage to go two years down the line but he does genuinely believe that he can do it yeah I guess maybe we're almost moving past the age of having kind of a first choice bowling attack and you like totally uh, absolutely I mean we, we've planned for a while to try and have a piece on wisdom.com when all the all the quicks available saying who is England's first choice attack and it just hasn't happened uh, it's also as point. you say it, it's a moot point as well what is the first choice attack well we saw with Australia over the over the summer, and we saw in the previous Ashes as well. You know, they have a, a coterie. They have a they have a cartel of quicks, but they you know they shift them around necessarily. So, um, and that's how modern Test teams who are serious about Test cricket have to have to approach it now. I think. Yeah, it's funny how cartel has become the collective noun for a group of quicks. Is it? Uh, I think so. I, th- I think cartel is generally the accepted. Uh, Accepted word they yeah. use. Yeah, uh, knots were going big on that, weren't they? This oh, year, their, their pace cartel, mm-hmm. plethora sometimes. Oh, maybe it was Lanks then. I think it was the Lanks pace cartel. Okay. Plethora, my least favourite word in the English language. Really, because yeah. people use it wrongly. It's the way that it trips off the tongue. Plethora of. Yeah, it, it's, it sounds like a sort of Russian inside right, you know, <laughs> plethora of. I just don't like it anyway. Okay. So on, on the staff, sure that bit will stay in. I think I think, I think I'll keep it in. So on the Stafka side, uh, there's been a fair amount of. Pressure on Faf Duplessis as captain. Uh, Dan Gallen wrote a piece for the Wisdom site on this uh, called What's Stafford Got Wrong at Cape Town, which doesn't lay all the blame at Faf's door by any means, but was interesting on his his tactics. Uh, there was that moment, do you remember, on, with Ollie Pope on the first day when he was batting with, uh, with Jimmy and ramped it over the keeper's head for four, at which point Faf put uh, a long stop in and then Pope obviously didn't play that shot again and then he took the long stop out and then he played it again. And you put it back in, and I think it. I mean, it. I think it just seemed like Saka didn't have the clear plans in that game, and he, he even stretched it back to the uh, the first game that it seemed like some of the handling of Keshav Maharaj, who was interestingly described as a work in progress by Mark Boucher, despite being probably Saka's best spinner since readmission. What What have you made of of him? Sort of in the field, his demeanour. I mean, his batting form as well. He's. I don't think he's past thirty yet this series. What What have you made? Uh, a man under a lot of pressure. Um, Sean of his mates you know in the past you'd look at that slip cordon and you'd have AB on one side and Hashim Amla on the other uh, now he is he's, he's, he's the lone man really and uh, yeah, he made some comments before the test series began about something has to give I think was the quote regarding the you know the workload on him personally uh, I think he's done a, a brilliant job forget the World Cup I think he's done a brilliant job overall um, steering quite a listing ship over the last few years. He's an impressive bloke. I've interviewed him once or twice, um, and he's he's a cut above, really. Uh, Telford Vice, actually, Joe, do you remember he wrote a brilliant piece about Faf in, in one of our magazines many, many years ago, back, yeah. Yeah. saying that he's just a very unusual, unusually approachable, uh, down-to-earth, intelligent kind of fella, um, the kind of bloke that you could stop in a restaurant and have a chat to, uh, unpretentious kind of bloke. Uh, but he's obviously feeling the pressure. You know, it's it's a tough gig at the moment um, running South African cricket. Um, uh, in terms of the question on on his on his tactics, on his strategy, well, he, he I think he lost control of the situation for the last hour on day one um, when Ollie Pope started to play nicely. And on reflection, as we said the other week, actually on this show, that last hour got England out of a out of a hole and gave them a, a just about adequate 
first inning score that they could work from and, and obviously the game then played out from there. Uh, I can't say with any authority that I, that I can criticise his tactics across the two, the two test matches. Um, I think there's a lot overplayed around test match tactics and strategies personally. And same of it, so much of it still comes down to your bowlers and the uh, South African attack was brilliant in the, in the first test. Uh, not quite as good in the second test. And, it, and it's hard. I thought Philander, particularly uh, with the, uh, the new ball in the second, England's second innings, was just not really... It was England's openers could just repeatedly leave him, which is very unlike Philander. Uh, and then the captain does have to start searching for, for a bit more. Um, so it, it, he was a brilliant captain a test ago. He's not a, now a bad captain. But it does feel like the whole thing's winding down for him. He's, he's talked about retirement can't be too far away. I wonder if it'll be after the T20 World Cup. Uh, there's just so many pressures. We think Joe Root has a lot of pressure as England captain, and obviously he does, and there's a lot of media demands on him. But he doesn't have to deal with the thorny issues that, that Duplessis does uh, yeah. in terms of, I mean, Duplessis saying before the last test that they don't see colour um, when he was talking about selection is a, is a difficult, problematic thing to say because South African selection policy does it's see colour. by it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also I can see where he's where he's coming from. That's the That's the point he wants to get to, but they're not, there yet so imagine going into a press conference having that hanging over your head every single time and having to tread carefully whilst also wanting your team to be as good as it possibly can be it's a really difficult job and it uh, de Villiers has, has struggled with it in the past and it probably hastened his his retirement from test cricket and Duplessis struggling to an extent now but struggling in, struggling impressively in a, in a sense yeah he's an, he he's has an dignity as a, as a bloke I think and I know Dan's also described Duplessis as, as arguably as, as strong a captain as Graham Smith in his own way, but with just very different resources at his disposal. I, I would just add, the the returns with the bat are falling away, I think, for Duplessis, and they have been now for a, for a couple of years. He was really good in the World Cup with the bat, to be fair. I'm talking, sorry, I'm talking Test Match Fine, Cricket. Yeah. Um, he made the 100 in the fourth test, the post-Cape Town fourth test against Australia uh, a year and a half ago, two years ago. But... Um, it's been few and far between, really, in the last two years. And he's not a naturally particularly gifted player. I think he'd say that himself. Uh, he's always been a resourceful kind of cricketer. But when the runs start to dry up and the external pressures start to coalesce, that's when it becomes a very, very unappealing uh, and challenging, burdensome kind of job. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next two test matches. Um, if England nick it, then I'm almost certain that he'll shake hands. But if it, if South Africa win it, then I can also see him doing that. The one fly in the ointment in this argument is the Graham Smith, Mark Boucher uh, change. Because if they can persuade him to stick it out for another year and identify the right kind of takeover, then potentially he could be persuaded to hang in there. It, it may be that they split the roles, you know, that the test test side is taken on by maybe a Dean Elgar type figure. Yeah, Temba Bavuma has been mentioned and Razi van der Dersen as well, obviously he's only two tests I in, saw Temba release a kind of enigmatic tweet. Yes, what does he say? Something like the... Sometimes silence speaks volumes type thing. It's yeah. that sort of vibe. Um, what's this in relation to, Ben? Is this in relation to the questions around his selection and whether he's been uh, overlooked? I, th I, th I think it's it's that in general. Reasons. I think because there's also been it's been murky whether he's been fit or not as well, okay. and so he hasn't said anything about that. I think it probably is a canny thing to not say anything, and it must be quite tempting just to say that you're not saying anything to answer to so that people stop asking you things. Um, yeah. So I, th I think I think he still is in staff because long term plans, but. As we mentioned on the last podcast, it is just 
made murky by the emergence of these white batsmen of promise, yeah. basically. And when Bavuma's returns have been falling away, even though we know he can be a good player, uh, and I think, but I think they have identified him as a leader as well. And that, right. and that was still mentioned by the assistant coach in a press conference today that Bavuma is not just a a, a potential batsman sufferer, he is a potential captain at some point. Right. So that story has still got chapters to be told. I yeah, think. say that again. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the other thing to come out in the aftermath of that test was uh, Butler's fine for swearing at Philander, calling him an effing knobhead, uh, which caught on the stump mics. Uh, he's since called in his couched way for stump mics to be turned off. Uh, what Butler do you think? has. Butler yeah, yeah he, he sort of was, he said, oh yes, but possibly yes sort of thing. But I, I think if, if confected outrage being being so in vogue as it is today, um, I can absolutely see the logic in just turning them off. I mean, w- what benefit do we have to have them on other than creating a bit of tittle uh, tattle? Easy for me Ben's to say. Ben's actually got a, a very good solution. Uh, you can, I can actually feel him <laughs> just desperate to get it out. So, so has he just set me up here? As, as Basically, yeah. It's just, it's just my opinion. Well, it's why didn't you pass that on and then I could have responded to that? Now you're just going to stuff me. I, as if I thought about this for one second. <laughs> I've got a job to do. So, uh, well, my, my sort of... it's I just thought of it this morning on the train, my solution. But uh, Here we go. <laughs> so I think the live feed, the live stomach feed, should be on during delivery because it is nice to hear, obviously, next off the bat, how it sounds that sort of thing uh but i don't think it should be live between deliveries but i still think it should be being recorded and fed back to the both the tv hut and the match uh match referees hut because there are still bits that you'd want to hear between balls like i mean i find it agonizing but tim Payne's sort of babysitting banter kind of thing people do enjoy having that uh, hearing that so playing but playing that a few balls later doesn't lose any impact it's also good for your clicks on your website it is good for, it's good for the clicks on the they website the I know roof. where you're coming from Ben <laughs> yeah that's, there you go uh, but, uh, but I do think also that it is um, an important tool for actually policing player behaviour Moan Ali said that he wants the stump mics turned up so that you can stop or mitigate player abuse and I think maybe the wider question is not so much about the stump mics but about what we feel about Butler's crime and what it was was his crime Swearing, well, you are, put, a, you are putting crime. those in inverted commas, right? Yes, that, that, sure. That yes, word. crime inverted commas. His 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 um, uh, his breaking oh. of the rule book. I mean, let's be honest. He he lost it a bit there, didn't yeah. he? In a very un Butler like way, because he got hit when the ball came in, and he just kind of lost it for a little bit. And as everyone does, and I think he probably should get a, some sort of slap on the wrist in the manner that he did. It's a bit of a shame that it becomes such a big story. But my issue with turning them t- turning them off, and why I do quite like your suggestion, is that it would sort of implicitly be letting players get away with this so with Butler I'm not that fussed but with the Shannon Gabriel Joe Root incident before to react to that by turning off the stump mics it sends completely the wrong signal from my point of view and, and Sanjay Mandraker who God is an utter bore um, but said after that that we should turn the stump mics off because then we wouldn't have this problem well the, the problem is Shannon Gabriel saying it in the first place that problem would still exist and that should still be being recorded and the repercussions still should follow from that but I do agree it shouldn't just be out there live for fans to hear all of this because you have issues like we've had with Butler which is actually turning it's rumbling of, on and on isn't it rumbling yeah. on and on when it's Born's not say, which yeah. I mean we are the ones talking about it so yeah. we can't really well, why is it rumbling <clears throat> Uh, I, I think why are people getting it's, it's just it's, it's, it? it's just one of those things that whenever it happens people talk about it and then forget about it and then they talk about it again when it happens again I think uh, the the other thing though, a bit, I think part of it was because it's Butler as well yeah. everyone's a bit like oh, Joss what's happened what's happened there because he's usually such a a nice mild mannered yeah. chap isn't he but yeah a small point is that the in the code of conduct it says the, that what he did wrong was using an audible obscenity but I, I wouldn't want to punish a batsman for 
just swearing when they got out at themselves, basically. Or I don't bowlers when they bowl wide. That is yeah, ridiculous. Exactly. That, that, yeah, that's, a, that's a, uh, a silly, silly rule. Yeah. Also, you could say, I mean, what happened after Butler did swear at Philander? I mean, they lost quite a lot of wickets after that. Did Joss Butler, in fact, win England in the Test match? And people, rather <laughs> than Ben Stokes, or as well as Ben Stokes. And actually, people were questioning Philander's judgment, weren't they, when he, re- when he turned down a single? Perhaps Very much so. Maybe, maybe he did get in his head slightly. Um, but my, my issue, no, not an issue, that's totally exaggerated. Uh, my point about it is that under no circumstances did Philander kind of feel obliged to get out the way. I mean, if someone's hurled the ball at him and it hits him, then that's entirely his call. He's, he's in his crease. He can stand there as, as long as he likes. So Butler's... I, I have no problem with the language, and I know I might sound a bit like beefy here, but, you know, if you do play cricket, then that kind of stuff is just ten a penny day after day after day. Um, the issue I had is that Butler had no right to have a go. You know, and that's if, what I mean by him losing it. He just, yeah. he just got he got hurt and yeah. then got angry. He had and no then, right. Everyone knows that reaction. So he, he looked a bit a bit silly. I don't think he looked nasty or, you know, potty-mouthed and we should slap him on the wrist personally. But he just looked silly because anyone who played the game, you understand there's certain etiquettes at work and, and, and Philander had done nothing wrong there. Yeah. Um, and so he just held the ball at him. Okay, we're probably beyond the risk of getting too far into it. Well, I think you've solved it, Ben. Well, well so. yeah, yeah. But, but for me, with Butler, it wasn't the swearing. It was, it was just reference to to wait is I is there's something just just I mean as you say it's just lost it's not a, a huge crime but that that was for me what was slightly unsavoury in it rather than calling someone a knobhead well people players always say person when you get personal that's yeah. that's crossing the line <laughs> and I guess talking about someone's weight is is crossing that line that is personal yeah okay just to clarify my position mm-hmm. and before we swiftly move on <laughs> I was only talking about the the specific quote that you that you referenced yes, yes, at yes, the top yes. at the top of this little bit, right? The bit about about personal appearance and so on. You know, that's that's, that's more questionable, obviously. Yeah. Um, right. That's Phil's final thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe, what's your moment of the week? Uh, my moment of the week was a county transfer, actually. Uh, Stuart Meeker uh, has gone from Surrey to Sussex. And I guess a lot of people would wonder why he hasn't gone somewhere sooner because we, we, we're based at the Oval. We see Mika in the canteen four or five days a week. Uh, he doesn't play much cricket, plays a bit of one-day cricket, a bit of T20. Only played, I think, one championship match in the last two years. Now, Mika's only 30. I mean, it's a decade since he had his handful of England one-day internationals and I think very nearly played a test match on that 2012-13 tour of India. Was the up-and-coming fast bowler in the country. They talked about Loughborough, didn't they, that he was the one breaking all the records and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it was he clocked at like 96 miles an hour yeah, or something. Was, yeah. I, I think I've subsequently had people a bit slightly dubious about the, the speed gun there. But he was, either way, he was he was the quick bowler that we had excitement and high hopes for. Uh, and it just hasn't quite materialised. And it's one of those, it, I interviewed him a couple of years ago and I wondered if he was just kind of leading a comfortable life at Surrey because he's probably pretty well paid and he's living in London and, and as county cricket goes, that's that's a pretty good deal, I think. Uh, but he was still determined, absolutely determined to win his Surrey place back and we're still talking about England at that stage. So I, I think it might be, it wouldn't be fair, I think, just to say he was kind of happy to just take the cash and not play much cricket. And Sussex is a really interesting move for him. Um, working with Jason Gillespie, you'd think would be a, would be a good thing in itself. Uh, Sussex have got quite a lot of good quick bowlers. Um, yeah, particularly in the one-day stuff. But they lost Reece Topley, didn't they? Reece Topley's gone the other way, hasn't yeah. he, to, to Surrey. So I guess he, he steps in there. But, but if the calendar were to fall, you could have Archer, Mills and Mika all lining up together, right? Yeah. Jordan as well. Yeah. And Jordan. Oh, my word. 
But I and really Garten, he's pretty sharp. Garden, yeah, Garden's really sharp. But I, re- I really want Mika to be playing a lot of Red Bull cricket. And yeah. at, at thirty, the testing is probably passed him by. Um, but I, he's, I write this down. He's only played eighty-nine first-class games at the age of thirty, uh, and he started young. I mean, that's that's just not enough for a for a talent like him. Um, and it'd be interesting to see if he can go on. We see this with county bowlers that some of them only really start getting going at thirty. Mika's not quite the express bowler that he used to be, but he's still sharpish around 85. Can he go on and have 50, 50 wicket seasons for the next three or four years? And I'd, I'd like to see that. I, I, I think he's a, yeah, a talent that we've never quite seen the best of. Yeah, it's a baffling story the last two or three years. Do you remember he sent that tweet early in early one springtime? If there's any counties out there that are interested in a quick bowler, then let me know. Do you remember that? Oh, did he? Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that, actually. I'd better check that because it might be complete nonsense. <laughs> um but yeah, he's he's always been a really genial presence around the Oval uh, and a very popular bloke. And yet you hardly ever saw him play. And it was it was peculiar. You know, obviously there's injuries there as well, but it, it was not quite as straightforward as that at certain occasions. Um, yeah, and, and a, an enigma of the English game. So it'd be great to see him have a good couple of years down there. Slightly indicative of a way that we might find county cricket going as well with the resources that Surrey have that they end up hoovering up so much talent that there's some very talented cricketers who don't play that much. Uh, we Obviously, like we see in, in Premier League football with the, the big six have so much talent and some of these players just kind of sit on the bench or, or don't even make the bench. Fabian Delft, yeah. Fabian Delft, yeah, another great English fast bowler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another one was Matt Dunn at Surrey. Yeah. Ba- barely plays at all and he was a kind of a bright young hope not, not so long ago. Uh, these are interesting careers that these players have, or, or almost non-careers, where they're training. We see them training from October, November, and then it comes to the season and they don't really play much. And it is good for county cricket to have these transfers, right? And it is picking up to being more of like a, a almost like a football-style off-season. There's some interest. I picked out a few of the kind of interesting transfers that have gone. Obviously, Hasib Hamid to Knotts, um, we talked about in a, in a previous pod. Um, that'll be fascinating to see. Mohamed Abbas has gone to the same same county from Leicestershire. Another one, Chris Green, the Aussie off-spinner who was kind of seen as one of the best T20 spinners in the world, um, has gone to Birmingham Bears as their T10, T20 captain uh, and has now been found to have an illegal action, so suspended for three months. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if he can fix that in time, whether he still comes to Birmingham Bears. And he's got a T20 World Cup squad that he wants to get into at the end of the year as well. Uh, and another overseas signing was Nathan Lyon going to, to Hampshire. Now, this is, this is kind of a top-level spinner playing, I think, only Red Bull cricket for Hampshire for the vast majority of the season. It'll be fascinating to see how a top-level spinner goes in county cricket over that period of time. Well, that one's interesting because they've got Liam Dawson and Mason Crane. So uh, I wonder what those two players are thinking about their, their prospects for next season. Well, I guess Dawson plays as an all-rounder, but if you're Crane, you're thinking, should I be going out on loan here? I mean, yeah. there, there'll be lots of counties who would love to have Mason Crane on their on their books. Yeah. Ooh, um, well, Phil, what's your moment of the week? Um, my moment of the week occurred about an hour ago um, in a fascinating conversation with Alex Marshall, the head of the ICC's anti-corruption unit, um, who... I would say he's doing some pretty sterling work out there. Uh, now, you know, the interview has only just taken place and I haven't written it up yet. Um, and I'm also speaking to representatives from the PCA and the ECB regarding um, English cricket's specific approach to combating corruption and specifically the corruptors around the game. So I have to tread a little bit carefully, but it was um, it was a pretty enlightening um, and kind of encouraging conversation uh, that we had. Um, there is no uh, 
way that you can you can polish this in a positive light um, in terms of the numbers of potential corruptors still swirling around the game. And it's worth pointing out at the different levels of the game. The further down the chain you go, second tier, third tier franchise leagues, the more likely these leagues are to be compromised. But even at the top, six international captains have been approached in the last two years. Um, so just let that number just percolate. Six international skippers. Um, he spoke openly about the Shakib story from last summer, um, about Jaya Saria. Uh, and about the the story of corruption going through the ages, and, and and perhaps the relevance of speaking to him this week is it's twenty years to the week since the the Centurion Test, of course, the Cronier Test. Um, and while nobody is pretending that corruption is a is a is is a dying uh, is of dying relevance in the in the game by any chalk at least the structures are now in place far more than they've ever been before um, to ensure that it is dealt with, addressed uh, and suppressed as much as possible, more so than ever before. Um, he's a cricket fan, this bloke, Alex Marshall. He's a cricket fan of many years standing. Um, and he says he says that I, and I'm quoting him, he says, I, I truly believe that what I'm watching now in international cricket is, is clean and true. Um, and I don't think anybody in their right mind could have said that uh, 10, 20 years ago. So, so there's a lot to unpick from it um, and a lot more to be, to be said on this. Um, pick up a magazine, if you like, in a couple of weeks' time because that's where the piece will be, Wisdom Cricket Monthly, part of our uh, state of play issue, Joe, which is slowly killing us, but we'll get, on, get through <laughs> the other side. We'll get there. Um, a kind of root and branch look at the, uh, the state of English cricket in particular in the context of the world game. Of which this is one bit of it. I guess what we've we've certainly got to a point where no player can claim that they don't understand the process now, and we saw that with the reaction to Shakib's punishment. Yep, there was shock and despair in Bangladesh, and street protests against and it. street protests. But I, I don't think anyone can say that Shakib didn't know exactly what what he needed to do, what his responsibilities were, and he failed to do them as being punished since. And I think. It's true in county cricket now that if you become a there's a rookie program that starts every county season Indeed. where the anti-corruption go around and, and tell you what you need to do if you're approached. Um, I spoke to Darren Mitchell the other day. Um, he told me he'd um, as Worcestershire captain had a couple of people add him on Facebook and ask him about conditions and team lineups ahead of match. He, he, he said they they could have potentially been Worcestershire fans. He, he doesn't really know. Maybe just interested in the game. But either way, there's no doubt. You take a screenshot, you send it to the ECB, and then they deal with it. And that's that's it. He says it's black and white. No players can have any excuses now. And that's the point that we needed to get to. doesn't mean people aren't, aren't doing it, but the excuses have been taken away. And crucially, they are collaborators, the players now, with the ICC. Uh, and it can't function as, as effectively as it does without the collaboration of players, which was why the Shakib thing was so dispiriting, I think. Uh, but yeah, just to, for a sense of how live this thing is... Um, Three years ago, they were getting 200 reports a year. Now they're getting 1,000. They routinely have between 40 and 50 live cases running at any one time. So, look, the, the, the problem is clear and present, but the, the, the structures to try and deal with it and the system to try and deal with it is also probably better than it's ever been. Uh, my moment of the week is from the Ireland-West Indies ODI series, specifically the end of the second ODI, yeah. when West Indies needed a few runs with the one-week in hand and twice in a row the bowler, Mark Adair, fumbled to miss runouts. 
yeah. first one took about five minutes to check. He sort of spilled it onto the stumps and they couldn't see if it was his hands that had broken at the ball. It was agonising and he sent a really sort of a tweet saying, sorry, but he, I hope you'll be better for it. But the point for me wasn't so much about that, but Ireland's new captain, Andrew Balburnie, defending a low total, who was excellent, kind of... He knew a very to... tight series. Yeah. Bits yeah. I've seen. Well, in, in, in that game, there were Evan Lewis made big scores in the first and last game to kind of... But once they got past him, they actually looked pretty even. I think that the thing with him captioning is he, he knew when to kind of squeeze, but also when to not like, let it drift, but to like, not get too panicked that the wicket wasn't coming at that stage. So I think that's... And that was just a second only guys' captain, so that's uh, really encouraging. And the other good bit of news from that is that DJ Bravo's back came out of retirement in December and will play the three T20Is and maybe a T20 World Cup at the end of this year. He says he's uh, feeling like a kid again. It's nice, isn't it? <laughs> Lovely. Lovely. There is does seem to be light at the end of the tunnel for the for the West Indies story with that that kind of generation of almost lost cricketers to, to the national team with Pollard um, leading by example with the ODI side. Bravo. Who, when was the last time he played an international game for the West Indies? 2016, I think. 2016. So, yeah, not for a while. Uh, he's obviously still still does it on the T20 circuit. Will be massive for them in the T20 World Cup, you'd have thought. Yeah. Uh, the other big game this week was India's first ODI against Australia, in which the host got absolutely hammered. Uh, Aaron Finch and David Warner chased down 256 all by themselves, which is a couple of stats. The second highest total chase down for no wickets lost and the highest ever ODI partnership against India. Uh, Manus Labuschagne made his debut and was down to bat at number three. TFC. And got, a, got a TFC award, <laughs> which kind of happened. Also, uh, India put Virat Kohli down at number four as a, that, mm. that debate continues to roll on. So it's Rahul batting at three? Yeah, they're trying to... Basically, they just can't decide between those top three batsmen. So and playing them all? Yeah, they're trying to. But, I mean, Shikha Darwan, for me, he's 35, I think. But I'm surprised he's back in it, to be honest. Yeah. I thought his time might have... Didn't he smash gone. a 70-odd in that first game? Uh, he, he didn't. I don't think he smashed seventy odd, but he got seventy odd. But okay. I think there. I think him and Kerr Hall seem like fairly equally matched players. But Kerr has the advantage of being seven years younger and possibly able to get better, and will be in the side for years to come. Yeah. And in Shreyasar, it looks like they've really found one. Yeah. At number four, so it seems so. slightly odd that Coley's become the greatest player in history mm-hmm. in fifty over cricket at number three, and now he's batting at four. But yeah. I'm sure they understand it a bit better than I do. I think, I think it might have been a one game experiment. Um, so the. the the warm-up for the 19 World Cup are underway. Right. Yes. Yes. Talk me through this, Ben. So there was a tie between Japan. Bangladesh and Australia. We'll get to Japan. We will get to Japan. But there was a tie between Bangladesh and Australia, UAE shock New Zealand, and Japan have a very nice-looking kit. They do. And an away and, kit that you're also fond of. Yeah, I like both the kits. I like the captain. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they, they did get bowled out for 69 in their first warm-up game. Who cares when you're wearing a kit like that? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> exactly, the, yeah. Also, there is a kind matches. of... Ben Gardner style to these kits as well. I can see you, you picking these up in a two-pound bargain basement down Brick Lane one day. Well, there's definitely a gap in the market for associate nations selling some of these more flowery kits. I think Vanuatu it's, it's a small market, market, but there's a market, yeah, it's the market of one. It's basically <laughs> our office, yeah. and only half of it, I would suggest. That. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, didn't the, was it the Japanese keeper who did that? ridiculously good stumping no that was the Zimbabwe keeper I think uh. but that, that was remarkable you should definitely dig that out it was sort of Emma Stoney combined with Sarah Taylor down the leg side but he had to sort of run to get it or well was went on the run as he got it and then flicked it back onto the stumps uh, yeah it was incredible available uh, on Wisdom's Twitter feed it is available on Wisdom's Twitter feed yeah so go, go and dig that out what isn't um, uh, also one of England's warm games was interrupted by a huge storm uh, Ian Bell who's out there with them put up a video describing it as a tornado which I don't think is meteorologically accurate, but did make me think that 
Ian Bellwether could make for a good magazine segment. There you there go. go. You you flagged this up three days ago, <laughs> this joke. You said, I've got a joke <laughs> for the show. Up, Phil. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> right uh, off the cuff there. <laughs> <laughs> there was a catch in the BBL which caused a stir. Matt Renshaw caught it uh, just inside the rope, threw it up in the air, and then jumped from outside the rope to palm it back to Tom Banton's teammate. Uh, instinctively, with me having described it, what do you reckon? Out or not out? Firstly, I thought that was really well described. Thank you. Um, well, it... It is out. Yes. I thought it was out at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it should be out. Okay. I well, Obviously, it is out. That's not up for yeah. dispute. I didn't think that was out. As in, I, I didn't know that was out. I didn't know right. you could do that. Uh, right. And you shouldn't be able to do that. Obviously, you shouldn't. Yeah, the law is an S. Yeah, you, it's, it, you, I guess once you touch outside the field of play, you become outside the field of play is the instinctive feeling. Uh, it's done to encourage in spectacular fielding acts. But either way, you'd have people being spectacular to try to avoid that rule. So, I mean... You could almost make a spectacular catch easy by doing that, That's right? That's what Glenn so Maxwell then, said. He, he took one of those catches in 2013, actually, I think, and then said, this was too easy. I, uh, I'd, I'd rather, rather it was a bit hard for myself. So, there you go. He's doing well, isn't he, Maxwell, in BBL? Yes, it? has decided to stop getting out, which is a really good strategy. Yeah. After, you know, that bit of time out that he took from the game when his things weren't quite right for him mentally, and to see him coming back and saying, you know... The demons have been have been dealt with, and feeling clear-headed and playing as immensely as he can do. Australian cricket is, dare I say, it, looking in quite quite rude health, isn't it? There's, yeah. a, there's a kind of swagger about it again, which English cricket fans hate to see. Well said, yeah. absolutely. Um, speaking of swaggering Australians, Marcus Stoinis hit 147 not out on the Big Bash, which is mildly remarkable. But he faced 79 balls in a 120 ball game, which is a, a joint world record. And there you go. Uh, <laughs> in the, <laughs> in the, also, Tom, Tom Banton's been tearing it up as well. So yeah, it's, it's yeah, not just he, he's some gone now, great yeah. big Australian loving. I know he's back now, but, yes. but yeah. you know he left his mark as well. Yeah. And Liam Limson as well keeps doing well. Um, from from the young to the old in the IPL, forty eight year old Pravin Tambe, who had become the oldest ever player to be picked up in the auction, won't become the oldest player to play in the IPL because he signed up to the T10 League last November. He didn't actually play, but he did sign up to the squad. Oh, that's and brutal. BCI's rules forbid Indian players from playing in the IPL and the other T20 leagues. The thing that's especially brutal is that the <laughs> T10 was in November, but the auction was in December, and it was allowed to enter the auction, but it's since been picked up by KKR and is now told he can't play. So they've been kind of screwed over as well as him. Oh, uh, that's brutal. And he's 48. 48, yeah. And he only made his debut at the age of about It's not 40, got that many so. more chances you'd have thought at the age of 40. <laughs> no. Six or seven, yeah. Two more bits. The guy who racially abused Joffrey Arch New Zealand has been caught and banned for two years, which seems like maybe not that long. I don't want to get drawn on it. I don't know the ins and outs of it. No. Um, instinctively, it seems lenient. And the final thing, a good note to end on, is the Wizard Almanac cover has been revealed. Yes. Joss Butler breaking the stumps, and it looks nice, I think. Uh, it looks it looks beautiful. These images are fabulous. My favourite was the Coley reverse mm, sweep from yeah. maybe two years ago. Just good definition and shading on that. That's yeah. it. Really good high def images. Um, yeah, Lawrence, our boy, has pulled it out of the bag yet again. I can imagine there'd have been some debate whether this was going to be Stokes or Pavel or, Florin, yeah, or Pavel Florin or Butler, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think they made the right call. Yeah, and it's, it's an angle I actually hadn't seen before. I think that picture. I had a look on Getty for You're it. Right, and you couldn't know, see it. You're and, right. Because you see his face, you see the, the concentration in the eyes that you don't get from the side angle, which is the, the images the that, that we've show. been using yeah. before. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that looks lovely. And uh, yeah, good stuff. Right, that's it from us, folks. Thank you for listening once again. Uh, thank you, Phil, for joining. No, it was a pleasure. I enjoyed that, Ben, actually. Good. Yeah, short and sweet. Uh, thank you, Joe. 
Um, thanks, Ben. Why do you say actually, Phil? As though sometimes you I don't, ex- Joe. Really? Yeah, you- sometimes I, it's kind of here today, gone tomorrow, but I felt quite engaged on that one. Ben okay. can play about being cold and hungry all day like a, like a Victorian street I am child. still both yeah. of those things, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> thanks, 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 thanks for joining both. Thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. Yeah, and if you're feeling especially generous, leave us a nice, maybe even a five star review on the app of your choice. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.